kids, you know, love the, oh, this school's Nike and oh, this school's Adidas. But okay, are they going to pay for all of your school? Are you going to graduate on time? Are they going to support you academically? Do they know that you have whatever you have? Like, what are they going to do for you? Like, it's, they know what you can do for them because they watch you play, but it's really what they can do for you. And you can't just take it surface level. Like, oh, this is what they say they're going to do for you. Look at what they've done for others. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring professional athletes who have taken their careers overseas. We'll hear about their seasons, come and gone, the process, their struggles, and what it's been like living and playing overseas. We'll also talk academics and the differences between the European and the American systems. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 12-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Let's get to it. Hello to the crew of another season in the books. If you have been here for a while now, uh, welcome back and thank you for coming on this journey with us. And if you are new to the pod and today is your first day listening, welcome. I'm glad to have you here and hopefully you enjoy yourself. Um, As the intro said, I'm Leslie Knight. I'm have been playing overseas professionally since 2008. I was in Switzerland for my first year and now I'm in my 12th season in Spain. And um, I don't know about all of you what your coronavirus story is or if you've had it, um, if you know people that have had it, I'm sure. But currently I have been in quarantine since February 17th when I tested positive and Um, As a professional athlete here with the Liga Femenina Indesa, the Spanish Federation, the rules are that I cannot return to the team until I have a negative test. So I have been getting tested every week, whether that's, you know, a Q-tip up the nose or a blood test to see if I have antibodies. But so far, no go. Um, so anyway, hopefully I will be out of quarantine soon and able to return to the team because we only have about a month left. Um, but that's what it is here. I think people that don't play professional sports after being in quarantine for 10 days, they can automatically go back to their job. No problem. But, uh, as athletes, we have to be tested weekly and until that test shows up negative, just SOL for all of us. So, but anyway, enough of the background information. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. Back to the show. Today, we are talking with an athlete from the city of Rancho Cucamonga. Amy Oconquo is wrapping up her second season as a professional basketball player overseas. And in this episode, she opens her heart and tells us all about her journey, both athletically and academically. We talk about a lot of things, one of which being her experience as a transfer student in college and what she learned about that second time around, her opportunity to pick a new school and kind of what she thought about and what she asked. We talk about her adjustment to Spanish life 
her love for chorizo and Asian cuisine, the visa process, and what she sees herself doing in the future, just to name a few. So whether you are out in the garden, driving in LA traffic, cleaning your room, or really, I don't know, maybe you're sanding cabinets, (laughs) I'm not sure. But I hope we can keep you company. I hope you enjoy the interview. And um, that's about it. Let's get this uh, party started. Amy Oconquo, buenos dias. Uh, Thank you so much for being here on the pod. Um, How are you? I'm doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing all right. You're doing all right. We'll we'll get into some some things later, but yes, you're doing you're trying to do the best with the circumstances um, as we are all are in this crazy coronavirus um, year that we're having, and in you know quarantine and all that fun stuff. But anyway, uh, getting right into the interview, tell me about your first sports memory. Doesn't have to be basketball related. Just like the first thing that you remember as a little kid when it comes to sports. Um, I was like four ish. Yeah. I was around like four or five ish when I started playing basketball Mm. and I didn't play the first season, um, because I was afraid of the ball. (laughs) Like I was actually, I, I, I couldn't catch it. Like I couldn't, I didn't really want to hold it. Like I was afraid of the ball. Uh Um, yeah, that, that wasn't good for me. (laughs) In that age, I was like, go play. And I was like, no, I don't want to get hit. (laughs) So who signed you up for, do you, I mean, I know you have siblings, so maybe an older sibling was already playing or what happened there? Yeah. So my mom, um, she wanted to like get us active um, and she wanted to put us in like sports. So like we did the whole, you know, the whole nine yards, like basketball, swimming, uh, ballet, tap, all of that. Uh, but basketball, like specifically, I remember like being afraid of the ball and my oldest sister was just playing. And I was like, how is she able to do that <laughs> and not be afraid? <laughs> okay. So obviously you grew up in like a sports oriented minded family, I'm assuming. No. Actually, no, it was sports was really just to keep us active. It wasn't even like a we were trying to get anything out of this. Um, both of my parents are Nigerian immigrants and like studies and, you know, education is the biggest thing. It just so happened that we liked basketball. So we continued to use that as our form of activity okay. in our household. Yeah, interesting. So when would you say you finally started enjoying it and like, started maybe even taking it more seriously. I don't know. I took, I started taking it seriously in like sixth, seventh grade. Um, but like enjoying it, I always liked it. I always liked playing with my friends and like, it was in a, like, you know, um, a social like environment. And I was very like, you know, out there and, and uh, adventurous and like meeting new people and going places. I started travel ball when I was in second grade. Wow. So I started pretty early on, like going different places and playing against different people, meeting new people and Mm -hmm. enjoying that. Um, But like taking it seriously, like, okay, so in sixth grade, I was like, actually, uh, I didn't do so great in my school. And my mom took me out of basketball. Um, My coaches were like begging her, like, we will watch her do her homework, like, please let her play. And I was like, no. 
Um, and I knew like after not playing for like, it was like a month, I think. I was like, I can't not play. Like, I love this too much. Like, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I, and from there, like, you could see the shift in, like, the way I was playing. And um, I got a lot better in those next, like, couple years. Mm -hmm. um, just because, us, like, you know, when you flip that switch and everything turns on, like, everything turned on for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting. I can't help but think about your parents. And, like, little did they know that this sport would allow their daughter to get a full ride scholarship in college to play overseas and to potentially play on like the Nigerian national team, you know, like, I wonder what, what has gone through their their minds, like throughout this whole process, you know? Same. I honestly don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's still, I think it, I still think it shocks them. Cause like, I wasn't the best child. Okay. Not that I wasn't the best child. I was a handful. Um, <laughs> as a child, <laughs> I kind of still am, um, I'm, I've simmered down, but like, I know as a child, like I was, I'm the, I'm the second child. So I'm, the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a middle child and the middle child, you know, there's middle, the middle child, child syndrome. Yes. That's definitely a thing. And, <laughs> and I went, I was going through it. Like I had this idea, like I had a the perfect older sister. Like I love my sister dearly. Like she was the first child. And so like, everything kind of went through her first like she was like the tester and then like they you know hardened up on me and I felt like I was always compared to her so like my difference was that like I was sports oriented and she was like the the educated smart intelligent one she also played basketball too like she was a great basketball player but like I took it like you know farther than she did she quit after like in high school she played in college a little bit but it wasn't like her thing but like basketball was like my thing and so it's just interesting that like basketball is taking to, taking me to all of these places, like playing in college. Like I remember getting my first offer, um, like for a Division One school. It was Oregon, hmm. um, and I'm like, Mom, they want me to play there. And she was like, What? Like, <laughs> like, Mommy, they are gonna pay for my school. She's like, What are you saying? I was like, Mom, I'm going to school for free. Like, she was like, No. I was like, Yes talk to her. <laughs> she'll, she'll tell you, she'll tell you what she told me. They're offering me to go to their school for free. And she was like, and I think I'm something like click from home. She's like, I can't believe Amy's doing this. Like, I can't believe of all the children. Cause I'm telling you, I was a handful. Mm -hmm. I probably like, they probably never thought like I would be the one to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And every day, all the time I talk to mom, she's like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, <laughs> I, like, I'm proud of you. Don't get me wrong. But like, of all of my children, like, I can't believe you are doing this. Like, yeah. you are living like the dream. Isn't it funny how it works out? And now that I'm older, looking back at just the value of a college scholarship, it blows my mind. And I realize how fortunate I was to have all that paid for because college in the United States is so expensive. And it blows my mind that so many people are able to do it. Um, obviously, they work really hard. They work maybe two jobs. They're paying their bills like years afterwards. And the fact that we were able to go for free is just beyond me. Amazing. It's, yeah. it, I know it took a load off of my parents specifically because my old sister, she's only two years older than me. So it was like she was two years into college and like they were paying, you know, for her to go to school. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, she had some scholarships, but like, that's still money. And then like me, I come along and they're like, oh, we don't have to pay anything. 
And she's going to, like, I started, yeah, they were like, oh my gosh. Like, this Amen, is- hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to pay for her. We do no loans. It's yeah. great. Um, and they, and they give her money every month to live. <laughs> That's crazy. Right. <laughs> right. So I know that this took a large weight off of my parents' shoulders. And like, that was something that they didn't have to worry about with me. Cause I had my stuff paid for. Yeah. And you went on to get your master's. Like you got your master's paid for too, right? Um, majority of it. I ended up paying for the rest of it, which was fine. You mean, I mean, like better pay, like less, like a little bit of money than okay, what it could have been. And I, you know, I got it at TCU as well. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that's not cheap. <laughs> Each class was like, like $5,000. I don't even it was, know. Yeah, it was, it, for my program, I think it was 5,000 a class about. Wow. So and that's Texas Christian University, I'm assuming. Is that private? Yes, it is private. Yeah. And out of state tuition, you know? Yes. But <laughs> okay, before we get into that, so tell me a little <laughs> bit, tell me a little bit about the recruiting process for you. Um, because I know for a lot of kids, it is overwhelming. Um, can be stressful. It's an unknown world, especially if you don't have older siblings that um, went through it. So for you, like, how did you navigate that whole situation process? Wow, that's a, oh. So just growing up in, let me preface this with like, my parents were not basketball sports people. Right. They dropped me off at practice. They picked me up from practice. They dropped me off at my games. Sometimes would stay and rah, rah, go rebound Amy. Um, <laughs> but they weren't like so involved to the point where they knew everything that was going on. Right. I had to navigate those spaces myself by like reading people, meeting people, asking questions, seeing what my friends' parents were doing. Like majority of the time I was probably with another girl on my team going to and from practice or games because of my parents' work schedule. So like in high school, when things were getting like serious with basketball, like I'm on varsity and like my best friend, she's leaving our like, you know, our little travel ball team that we had that we were playing um, for to like go play for a Nike EYBL team. Um, I was like, mom, we, I had to do that. Like it's expensive, but like, I got to do that. And she was like, why are we paying $3,000 for you to play basketball in the summer? And I was like, mom, please, like, <laughs> you know? Um, she's like, this is expensive, Amy. And I'm like, I know, but like, I wanna play basketball in college. This is what I have to do. Like, this is what she's doing. She knows, they know what they're doing. So I have to follow. Mm-hmm. And I convinced my mom to do, I don't know how, but she- You were persistent. You were persistent. I was not gonna take no for an answer. Um, and so being in that circuit exposed me to a lot of like new things. Like I remember getting my letters, you know, how people take those pictures of letters. Like, oh my gosh, she's all the schools that love me. Um, letters really mean nothing, but <laughs> the letters was just interesting. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like these people know who I am. And my mom was just like, why do you get these letters? Where are these for? I'm like, these people, <laughs> they all want me. They all want me in this school. That's why I'm a good basketball player and they want me at their school. Um, and um, again, my parents were just like, okay, she's getting letters. They haven't said anything to her. But then we start getting calls and the offers and the, we want you and come for a visit and like, you know, planning for my future. Um, 
I mainly took care of like talking to coaches like myself. Um, I had my, I had my um, uh, high school coach sometimes talk to them. My travel ball coach would sometimes talk to them. Mm-hmm. But like when it just was me, like I really just talked to them myself. And if they asked to talk to my parents, they're like, oh, can we talk to your mom? And I was like, um, yeah, if you, if you want to. <laughs> wow. that's really awesome though because I feel like not all high school athletes would be willing or excited about having all those conversations it was it was a little difficult because you know when you're talking to like adults like they can easily like sway your mind especially college coaches they're all very good talkers exactly they're like oh we can do this for you and that for you and I was just like oh yeah really let's see like (laughs) really can you I want to know um but just and then also had my like my teammates were all going through it as well so like I remember like oh like what did what do they want like is this real or is this fake like talking to older girls that were going through the process in my like um program that I that I was playing for Mm -hmm. and like how they chose and what made them want to stay and things of that nature and um, but I had a really good, like village around me, like it supported, like, you know, being the supporting me. And if I, I knew that if I had a question that there was people that I could ask. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. Like the basketball community that I had. Um, did you, did you end up taking all your official visits? No. Okay. So my dream school, um, so in in um, high school, I was getting recruited by mainly Pac-12 schools. Like I was, I was deemed a Pac-12 kid. Um, I was getting recruited by UCLA, USC, Arizona, Arizona State. You know the yeah, the Pac-12. Um, but my dream school was USC. Like, and they weren't heavily recruiting me at the time. Like UCLA was University of Southern California. Yeah. So um, UCLA was recruiting me at the, at that time. And I felt like very strongly about them. Like, this is a really good school. Like my parents were like, this is a really good school. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, USC was my dream school. And I was heavily like, I went on one visit. I set three visits. I went on one to Arizona okay. and I loved it there. Um it was a, it was a beautiful campus. My best friend, like, and one of like my closest teammate, like she was committed there and they wanted both of us. Um, and I really connected with their coaching staff and it was like, it would have been great to go there, but I just felt like it wasn't for me. Hmm. Um, it was a feeling. So do you think like, if you wouldn't have gone there to see it, you might not have had that feeling. Yeah. I feel like if I just like committed on the phone, like, yeah. It's important. It's important to go and see these places. Yes. And I felt very pressured to commit there when I was on my visit. Like they wanted me to leave there a wild, like a bit, what is it? Wildcats, cats, bear down. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> part of that. And I was like, I was so, I knew it was wrong because I was hesitant. Hmm. Okay. Um, you listened to your gut. That's good. Yeah. But then a week later, USC called me and offered me and I was like, I can't say no. And I had I had gone in an unofficial to USC because I'm from California. Right. I looked on Google Maps. It's about a 55 minute drive, maybe if there's no traffic. Exactly. It's not far. So like I've been on an unofficial visit there. I've been to UCLA plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they called and they were like, "We want to offer you," and basically like 
it, if it, we've offered another girl as well, like if you take it, then you get it. But if she takes it, she gets it. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's horrible. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. But I called my mom and I was like, mom, I really want to go here. And I was like, <laughs> And I called my co- I called my college coach. Um, I called my travel ball coach. I called my high school coach, and they were like, "Do what you feel is right." And I was like, "I am gonna commit." So I committed that same day. So what do you think USC had that like you wanted to be there so badly? Who doesn't want to be a Trojan? Who doesn't want to say "fight on" and sing the fight song? And like I'm, you know, growing up in California, like being part of like the UCLA USC rivalry. Like I walked onto that campus and I was in love. I was like, oh my this is so cool. Like I'll be close to home. Like I get to wear this, these colors be part of this tradition. And like, it was like an amazing feeling. Like when I committed, I was just like, <laughs> I just want everybody. I was just like, fight on everybody. Like <laughs> I was so proud to be a Trojan. It was the best thing. Like it just felt great. But my freshman year, it <sighs> it proved that it wasn't that great. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was, I do not regret committing and going to USC. Like USC was, it was an amazing experience and I met so many great people. Um, and I experienced a lot and I learned a lot about myself and, um, the, the world of division one athletics, um, and how that works. So, yeah, that experience was a little tough. (laughs) Yeah, so you were there your freshman year, and then at some point you decided to make a change. Um, And, you know, looking back on college experiences, like, if we all had the answers, we would make the right decision from the get-go. But we don't have the secret, you know, behind all this decision-making, and, um it's a live and learn type of thing. And like, I talk to athletes from Europe who go over to the States to play and it's, it's complicated even for an American to make the right decision, let alone for someone coming from a whole different continent, you know? Um, So you decide to make a switch. How did you even end up then at TCU in a different conference? Like it's a two and a half hour plane ride from where you're from. Like, how did you know about them? Um, how did they even get on your radar? Like, how did that all pan out? So I didn't even know what TCU was. I was like, mm-hmm. what is that? But the coach was, um, had previously coached at Fresno State who had recruited me in high school. Uh-huh. And I didn't really like give them the time of day, honestly. Um, <laughs> I basically like told her no. Um, but so yeah, I, I, um, I, I decided to transfer. Um, and I get a call from, you know, I send out my, what is it called? Your, my, and like the transfer papers or whatever. And I sent it to a couple people that like, I had my release okay. and they sent it out to all the coaches that they could and all that, that they knew. So I get a call from Reagan Peebly and she's like, Hey, like, how do you feel about TCU? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, what is that? She was like, yeah, it's in Texas. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what about it <laughs> you know in Dallas Fort Worth I said I've been there before but I didn't know what it was you know like until you've like really been there you don't know it and right. I was like I don't know she's like TCU I was like what's that Texas Christian I was like I don't know what that is but um okay I would love to hear what you have to say about it um but like there was a previous like relationship there so like I knew who she was mm-hmm. 
and she's a, she was a great like a great person to talk to, a great woman to talk to. And I talked to the recruiting coordinator there. That she's not there now, but like she was there when I was, and I had a really good relationship with her. We connected really well. Great, great, great people. Um, so I did take a lot of visits the second time. Okay, I was going to ask, like, when you transferred, you, do you get to do the whole official visit oh, thing yeah. again? Mm -hmm. I did. Um, multiple unofficial visits so i did like an unofficial to long beach state like places that were close to home first mm -hmm. so like i did unofficial to like long beach state north uh cal state northridge um san diego state did i do another one i think that was the three that i did close to home and then i took uh, official visits to boise state to TCU and to New Mexico State. Okay. Um, but like once I stepped foot on TCU, it was over. Yeah, but it's interesting to hear you talk about this because you're, you had been through the process, like you were one year in already. So the second time around, I just wonder like where your mind was at and how differently you were kind of approaching the whole process opposed to the first time around, you know, like what, I wonder what kind of questions you were maybe asking that were differently or what you were thinking about that you hadn't thought about the first time. Um, my experience my freshman year was completely awful. Like I was miserable my freshman year of college. Um, and I knew I did not want to experience that again. And I knew that relationship with my coach was something that was extremely important to me. Um, and being in a family atmosphere where I felt like truly supported because like, of course I did those visits like close to home because that was like kind of to appease my, um, you know, my parents like, oh, they want me to stay close to home. But also I like, I needed to be somewhere new, somewhere where I would thrive, not just survive. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I had to ask those hard questions. Like, what about my fifth year? What about this? Like, what about, um, like, am I gonna play? Um, Am I like, what are, what is it like to live here? Like, what are, what is everything that can be offered to me that is going to make me successful? Mm -hmm. And uh, do they have my major? Because I wanted to study sports psychology and that wasn't a thing at USC either. So like I needed to make sure that was at the schools that I was looking at. Um, and so I had to ask those questions, get a feel for like the team and see how like I would fit in there. Um, as well, because like, you know, um, the team that you're on plays a big like role and like, you can't control it, but like, you can set like a, like a foundation of the people that you come in with and hope that you connect with them and that it's a good, good years. Um, the next four years are good for you. And like, what is my, my plan for the year that I have to sit out look like? And what do you like, what do you want me to do? And so like things like that were ex extremely important to me. Um, because again, I wanted to thrive through my next four years. I didn't want to just be there. I didn't want to um, be surface level. I wanted to get the full experience. Right. But even for just listening to what you're saying, like for division one athletes, it's really hard to know what you're getting into because A, coaches tell you everything that you want to hear. The official visit is like whining and dining you. And I personally, like I went to Minnesota and I did not play hardly at all my first two years. Like in total, I think I played 37 minutes in two years. And like, 
how, how do you know if you're going to get playing time or not? You know, I went into my college career thinking that I was going to make an impact my freshman year and that did not happen, you know, and like nothing is guaranteed. And so, ah, making these decisions is so tough, so tough. It is extremely tough, but also like, I don't think the NCAA makes it easy either. Hmm. Uh, Just because like, you have so much pressure and like the recruiting you're being recruited at 15 years old they're expecting you to make a decision for the next four years of your life at the age of 17. some people don't even know how to drive a car at 17. like you know people don't know how their bank accounts work at 17 but you want to make you want me to make a like a possibly like a lifelong decision because when you graduate you're an alumni you know of this school for life like this is your connection for the rest of your life um and kids, you know, love the, oh, this school's Nike and oh, this school's Adidas. But okay, are they gonna pay for all of your school? Are you going to graduate on time? Are they going to support you academically? Do they know that you have whatever you have? Like, what are they gonna do for you? Like, it's, they know what you can do for them because they watch you play, but it's really what they can do for you. And you can't just take it surface level. Like, oh, this is what they say they're gonna do for you. Look at what they've done for others. Mm-hmm. I know it's not the same for everybody, but it's such a hard decision. And I think it's so hard, especially with the transfer sitting out rule, um, like how hard it is to like integrate to a new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I know like me that year that I sat out was so crucial to like my success at TCU. Mm-hmm. If I didn't sit out, I don't think I would have had as much success as I did. Um, but it's so difficult. Even, yeah. at that age, even at that point, I was still only 18. I went to college at 17. I turned 18. I was transferring and I was still 18. Wow. Yeah. You're a youngin. Yeah. I was young. So I was still making decisions like, you know, big decisions at a young age. Right. And now there are players that verbally commit like very young. I mean, like 16, I'm like, are you sure you want to go all the way to Tennessee? Right. Like, are, and- is that, that's what you want. Okay. <laughs> And it's exactly what you say, what you're saying, because we see what we see on television, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we have these ideas of what these universities are going to be like, and they can be so like glitzy and glamoury, and it looks this and that. But you need to think about what really is important to you. Like what? <laughs> dig deep and ask yourself some questions. So I'm really glad that you had that second opportunity, you know, to to go about it. Um, and I'm wondering the difference like between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, I was trying to Google it yesterday. I'm like, which one do you think is better as far as competition? Because you've got Baylor, you know, in the Big 12, but then on the other side, you've got Stanford and like, I'm just curious to hear what you think. I think it's just very different. I think both leagues are very, very competitive, but the style of play is very different as well. Okay. Like in the Big 12, you're banging every single game like a po- maybe the a couple games that you don't like bang with the big dogs is like maybe an Iowa state like not saying that they don't bang with the big dogs but like that's they're a shooting team in, I feel like yeah they're they're there it's a shooting team like you're gonna have to worry about who's shooting the next three um but like the Baylors the Texas is the, there's are big people like <laughs> Kansas yeah yeah like those are big people like you're banging in there and it's it's physical and tough like I was going home after games like oh my gosh can I walk tomorrow after <laughs> going these people at Baylor um 
those are my favorite games to play though, you know, cause like that's the competition. The competition was so high. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it was amazing. Like, but that's, um, you know, that's, I think that's the closest you're, you're going to get to like feeling like you're playing the WNBA. <laughs> if you're not like, you know, um, there's the high level of competition, like the amazing coaches in the big 12, not saying like, like, you know, there's, the Pac-12 is good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the it's a great comp. I just really can't say. I'm, I'm going to pick Big 12 because that's where I played the last, you know, three great. years. And that's what I know. But the Pac-12 has great athletes and great is a great conference, too. And it's not just, like, only basketball. Like, <coughs> I would say that um, the Big 12, like, has made a lot of changes over the couple of years, just, like, in how good they're like they're, they have a lot of up and coming teams that are getting way better. Like TCU's football team was like a really big deal at TCU because they're good. They're really, they were really good. Like our basketball team was up and coming. Our men's basketball team is up and coming because TCU was one of the like last people to join the big 12. So like, mm-hmm. it was definitely an experience. We've always look, been looked at as underdogs mm-hmm. in our conference. So yeah, you got to stay true to where you went for the majority of your college career, you know, I nah, mean, I, <laughs> Like in the top, like my junior year, I think we had like four, no, I think we had like five or six teams in our league, like ranked mm. at all times. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. Um, so this podcast is called another season in the books, which, you know, is like another season come and gone. It's in the books, it's done. And then another season studying while playing at the same time. Um, what was your adaptation process to college life playing basketball and then having to get your studies in as well and like maintain your your GPA was that um difficult for you at all like organizing your time what was that like um I was terrible at school in high school like I was really bad um I I didn't get bad grades I didn't get bad grades I just was really bad at school like I didn't like homework and things of that nature but when I got to college I don't know again something like flipped like in my head like a switch and I just knew how to get my work done well. Um, I was very efficient. I cared a lot about my grades and my education because that was important to me um, to do well. Um, College is not easier than high school. It's much harder, um, but I found ways to really devote my time where it needed to be. And I was able to juggle so much. I juggled a lot um, now that I kind of look back at it because it wasn't just like, oh, Amy, you have school and you have basketball. Like I was part of other things too. Like I was a nanny. I um, did uh, what's called SAC, Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Like I, there was a lot of things that had my time. And honestly, that's, that was the best place I learned time management. Now, like, I feel like I can get through like anything because you have only 24 hours and like eight of them are supposed to be spent sleeping and then you have like 16 hours but then you have to like donate like four of those to like just school alone now you have less hours and you have to eat like take out two and a half hours and you have to like you know um take a nap so that's another hour and then you have like (laughs) hours left and you're like okay now i have practice (laughs) and how do you fit that all in in one day but i fit it in i fit it in every day for five years um, you got your master's in education leadership? Yeah, higher educational leadership. So like 
at TCU, they have um, an educational leadership program. There's like educational leadership, which is more like primary school. And then there's higher educational leadership, which is more on the, you know, collegiate level of administration and like um, student affairs um, and things of that nature. Um, I was actually able to take like classes on division one athletics as well. So that was really interesting for me because I, you know, went through it. I, I knew a lot more than what my book was telling me. Right. Um, Very cool. It was really interesting. And I actually graduate. I finished my, my, my work, but I officially graduate in May. This May. This May. I won't be able to walk um, because of coronavirus. I won't, I won't but yeah. <laughs> in a future in a future ceremony that I choose, I will be able to like put my cap and gown on and walk and like have my family see me and stuff. So okay, very cool. So in the future, do you see yourself like going back and working at a university or something like that? So I actually want to be a coach. Um, I want to coach um, Division One basketball um, for a little bit. Um, I don't think that will be like my end all be all, but I want that experience because I love and I want to give back to the game of basketball um, mm -hmm. in that way first. Um, and then I want to head more into administration and become, you know, a senior women's administrator and um, assistant athletic director or ultimately an athletic director. Um, one day I would like to own my own team. Um, like WNBA yeah. team or what do you mean? Yeah. Like I want to own a team in the NBA, you know, in the NBA, maybe, you know, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere that's possible. Doors yeah. Doors open. Um, I'm not looking down on any possibilities. Um, I do want to still be in sport though. Like that is my main goal. Um, I feel like there just needs to be more women, not only women, but women of color. Yeah. Uh, because I know through my experiences that there is a lot more that, could have been done and I feel like there's more there needs to be more support and there needs to people I need to see more people that look like me in this you know in that profession and so I want to be that person for someone else that's awesome I love it and I love hearing your goals you know because not everybody maybe has goals that they verbalize um but it's I love hearing you say that. And I think you're absolutely right. And I would love to see more women, you know, white, black, Asian, whatever it is, but like, I would love to see that. And if you, if you were the, the owner of an NBA team, that would be like, <laughs> you know, but as far as the, <laughs> there you go. But it's so true. I mean, I watch, I watch the television and I see like, maybe there's a female referee out there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a female referee. This is awesome. And little by little, we're definitely gaining ground. Um, but it is important. It's so important for anybody to see somebody that looks like them that they can relate to in that position. Um, so I will be following you, Amy. I will be cheering you on. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, because recently, you know, Renee Montgomery is part of the group that, you know, like bought, that line of dream and I was like someone give me her number I need to ask what she did right I don't have a lot of money but can I help <laughs> I want to be a part of the group um but I that I that was so amazing I was like oh my gosh like that that is what I want mm -hmm. that is amazing that is groundbreaking that is exceptional 
to go from, you know, like player to owner, like, you know, that's amazing to me. And And I I feel like this generation of athletes that are like current athletes right now that are maybe getting into retirement or that are, you know, the platform and just the energy and the desire to do these things is really strong and it's going to continue to be so. So the future is really, really exciting and promising in my opinion. Definitely. The sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. Anything possible. Like I don't rule anything out at this point for my future or for anybody's future. Like if you want it, go get it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you end up graduating at TCU. Um, you then think afterwards, like, did you know that much about playing overseas? Were you hoping maybe you got, would get a WNBA chance? Like when the over, I, I mean, what was that process like for you? So I was like super hopeful for the WNBA. Um, I knew my class was difficult because of like who was in my class. Like it was a lot of great players. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my odds were not the highest, but I was hopeful because I had a good season. I, I got a good season that year and the year before that. And my coach, you know, um, she was giving me hope. So I was like, okay, let's hope. I'm hoping, you know, draft day came. I didn't get drafted. I was sad, but like, you know, that's not the end all be all. Being drafted is not the end all be all. There's people who are undrafted, Erica Wheeler, who, you know, have found success. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's hope for camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get camp. And that was sad too, because, you know, I just wanted a chance. I wanted a chance to show what, that I was capable of more and that I could be useful to and any of these teams in the WNBA. But again, I have to be realistic. There's 144 spots. There's 12 teams. And each team has about, you know, 12, yeah, 12 people. 10 of those people are kind of a shoo-in. Right. And unless you're like top 10 in the draft, you're probably not going to make the team. Um, There's some people who do. um, And I wanted to be one of those people. But my first year out, that wasn't what was in store for me. Um, and I was okay with that because again, the WNBA is not the end all be all, but who, you know, who wouldn't want to play in the WNBA? It's right. the best, it's the best league for women in the world. Um, right. The best women play in that league. There are people who deserve to be in that league that aren't, but it, you, you know, you get, it, when your time is comes, your time comes. Um, and you know, there's other people who didn't start in the league, um, like their first years off Sammy Whitcomb. That's a beautiful, like, you know, um, example, like she didn't play in the league for her, like the first, what, four or five, I think five years of her career, maybe she was playing in France. She was playing in Australia and killing it. And now the the storm can't get rid of her. You know, like, I think she's, she just got traded to, I mean, I think New York or something like that, but Regardless, like her story wasn't just like straightforward. Mm-mm. We all have a journey to be on. And I th- just knew that like, if that wasn't the start of my journey, that doesn't mean that couldn't be part of my journey at another point in time. Right. So, and there's a lot of basketball players who've never played in the WNBA, but are still great. Mm-hmm. I can name them. There's some here in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, 
So then the option to play overseas comes along and you find yourself in Zamora, Spain. Tell me about any of the culture shocks or any maybe funny stories you might have as far as like maybe misunderstandings because of the language barrier or things like that. Like how was your first year uh, overseas? My first year was, okay, okay. So socially with my team, it was amazing. Like we did everything together. We watched Harry Potter on Tuesdays and we would bake for each other. We would go out to eat. We would just hang out. Like we were a very, very close knit team. Like we all got along. There was no issues, no like drama, nothing like that. Like though that was an unfair, like that is a rarity. Like you don't see that overseas, what our team was. And we were all very young. Um, I think the oldest person was 29. The youngest person was 22, which was me. Yes. Shout out so, to Quinn Dornstadter. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Quinn. Um, <laughs> and she was, I, we always talked about food because I like to cook. <laughs> so we would like cook, she would like bake and it was great. Um, but that the socially it was awesome all of my teammates spoke english we all had our differences but like we always we found a way to come together and to support each other and be there for each other even through a really tough season Did your basketball coach english? my first coach spoke english okay so we had a coaching change as well so my first coach spoke english my second coach did not and we had a translator who honestly he didn't really speak English either. I don't count that as English. Um, <laughs> they were all everybody was so nice. Like everybody was so so nice here in Zamora. Everybody's nice. Okay. Um, uh, funny food. thing. Did you like? What did you think about the Spanish food? Oh, I love all food. Okay, you're like me then. Yeah. Um. I I love all food. I'm I'm a foodie. I like to eat. Um. At first, I was had to get used to a couple things. Every time someone was like tortilla, and I was like, "Yeah, I love quesadillas, tortillas, <laughs> you know, cheese quesadillas." And they were like, "No, tortillas, not." Like, what do you mean? And I was like, "What is it?" She was like, "Egg," and I was like, "Eggs? Why don't you call it eggs then?" <laughs> like huevos, come on now. I know some Spanish. They're like, "No, it's like a thing of Spain," and I tasted it and I liked it. Now I like it. I'm a tortilla girl. Yeah. I, and I love patatas bravas. They're so good. Oh my gosh, that sauce. Yes, I agree. I agree. But my favorite dish is arroz a la cubana. Ah. I love fried eggs and I love eggs. Oh, well, I love fried eggs and I love rice. So like them together just make it great. With the tomato sauce? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is good. And then you take the, you take the bread and you kind of dip it into the egg yolk and. <laughs> oh, so good. So good um it's I've and also like I met a Spanish family here and that like made my experience here in tomorrow even better um because they just introduced me to like a lot of new things and their culture food um I did not like chorizo before I came to Spain but now I can't stop eating it because they make it in their village and it's like fresh and I'm like okay I probably will never eat chorizo again because it's not going to be like this uh -huh. <laughs> I, I don't trust that, it. I love how you have the Spanish accent with the tha chorizo. Oh, yeah. My <laughs> Spanish mom made sure. Sylvia wasn't playing. She was like, you have to say the C with the And I was like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> so now I have to, like, enunciate it or, like, she'll correct me every single time. Yes. She's like, come on, Amy. I'm like, I'm trying. Uh -huh. Well, I think it's so great that you were able to make this connection with this family because 
being overseas, like you're really on your own by yourself. And if you're able to make some of those connections, I think it just makes your experience that much richer. And it's all about like the experiences, you know? So did you meet these people because they came to a game or like, how did that relationship start? (laughs) So they are like Zamora fans. Like they love the Zamorat here and they come to all the games Um, and their daughter plays for the junior team. Hmm. Uh, And so like her daughter, was like the sweeper like our game and like it was so cute sweeping the sweat off the court yeah she's like you know they every like you know their friends are like clapping like oh my gosh that's too sweet and then she's like it's your moment yeah and so like after the game like I would like say hi and then like her brother would like the kids you know they run onto the court after the game and like run around and like kind of integrate with like the players and like talk to us and stuff right corona wasn't around exactly and so like this little boy like comes up to me and I'm like, hey, he's like, hello. And I'm like, oh, you speak English. He said, yes, my mother too. And I was like, okay, he doesn't speak the best English, but he he knows some English and he understands me. And he's like, I am George. And I was like, hi. I'm like, your name's Jorge, but thanks for trying to be, you know, say it in English for me. He was like, my mom wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And so I went over to the stands or whatever. And she's like, hi, I am Sylvia. Um, if you need anything, like, let me know. Um, like, if you need anything, I speak English and I can help you. I'm from here. And I was like, okay. Um, and then like, just over time, like, uh, I would talk to her. Um, and sometimes we would go on walks or we would go like go out and get like Diet Coke, like at a, at a cafe, cause I don't drink coffee, but that's okay. what I like to get, like Diet Coke or whatever. Um, and then after games, I, they would invite me to like eat with them and their like friends that they came to, came to the game with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started going to their house for dinner that's and so I started nice. going to their house for no reason, just to be there, <laughs> just to be there, um, hang out with the kids. And just, you know, spend time together. Um, And when I had to leave last year, like, because of COVID and it was so abrupt Mm -hmm. and I had no idea if I was coming back to Spain, tears, so many tears. And I was like, why are we crying? Like, it's only been like a couple of months. Connection that I made with them was so like, you know, so effortless um, and, and genuine. And I was like, so sad. And even when I went home, like I talked to them like all the time, like every couple of days, like it was a FaceTime, it was a call, it was a text. It was, I stayed in contact the whole time when I told them I was coming back and they were actually, they were so happy. Hmm. Um, but that's beautiful. No, I love them so much. I, like, I literally, like I started crying the other day. I was like, oh, I like them so much and I'm going to miss them when I have to leave like this. <laughs> Like there's gonna be so many more tears this year because like uh, yeah the, the, this relationship is so much stronger and I've spent so much time with them like I'm literally at their house like three to four times a week. Mm. That is really something incredible because I don't think that many foreigners that come over to play in Spain maybe have that experience. Like no. <laughs> Yeah, just beautiful. I mean, really, like, I'm proud of you for also being open to something like that, you know, and obviously, they saw that opportunity in you, and they just liked you from the get go. And I don't know, just very cool. 
Yes. Um, so thankful. So talking a little bit about playing overseas and just your experience, I know you've been kind of through a lot. Um, what kind of advice would you maybe pass on to future generations that are thinking about doing the same thing? I realize that everybody has different experiences, um, but what are some of the things that maybe they should think about when playing overseas and like, how can they be successful? What type of mentality should they have? Um, all that good stuff. I think they should be as open as possible. Um, and don't be shocked by anything. Like do do not be shocked anymore. Like by anything. Like any like I'm telling you anything as possible. <laughs> um, and just be prepared. Like you know, like people say culture shock, but just like if you're if you're open, it won't be as much of a shock to you. Um, I don't think I had too many like culture shocks because as um, you know, a daughter of Nigerian immigrants, like I grew up in a two culture household. Like I was raised in America, but like. I'm Nigerian. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just seeing and experience other cultures, like just take it in and experience as much as you can talk to people. Don't be afraid. Don't just like one thing. I know some people are just like, Oh, I sit in my room all day. And I'm like, you can't do that. You need to get out. Like you are in a different country. How many people get to be in a different country? Like this is going to be the best time to and just enjoy and experience and do things and learn things and you know ask questions like learning Spanish has been so fun I'm really terrible but you know it's been fun to do it um and I would just say like when it comes to like sports it's not the same as like college um you are not as supported as you were in college mm -hmm. um, you have to really be you have to create a good support system around you. Um, and whether that be just your family, um, the friends you, you have, your coaches in college, the people that you meet here, really try to surround yourself. So when things don't happen the way that you may not, like you want them, you may not be playing a lot, you may hate where you are, but you find some type of joy mm -hmm. in the small things like, well, I'm in a different country. So, you know, let me do all that I can to get the most that I can get out of this opportunity that I have. Um, and know that like your worth is not only as a player, like you're a person too, and you deserve happiness and good things um, no matter what situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to just like taking care of your body, like, oh my gosh, take care of your body. Like, please take care of your body. Uh, it is your money. <laughs> Literally, it's your money. It's your job. Um, and like, you're not going to find the same care wherever yeah. you are. Like, you might get lucky, but it's not going to be the same. You might need to invest in quite a few things. Um, personally, <laughs> personally, I've invested in like a Theragun, um, a foam roller, a foot roller, um, just like, you know, the glute bands, the long bands um, to stretch with, to do workouts with, you know, COVID era. Mm -hmm. um, and just those small cups, um, if you can afford like Normatec or like a STEM machine, um, get that, have it. <laughs> 
Some people have game readies, uh, you know, get what you need to make sure that you are, you know, able to perform the way you want to perform and whatever helps you feel good as a player. Right. And again, the support thing is really big because mentally, like mental health is very important. It's not easy to be thousands of miles away from home in a country that you've never been in, sometimes in a place where you don't speak the language, coaches don't speak the language, your teammates may not speak your like English. Um, and you have to be right in your mind before you're right with your body or anything else. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to set yourself up for success. Yes. In that terms, if that means you get yourself a therapist before you come over here, get yourself a therapist and do your e-visits every week if you have to. Yeah. Invest in that because it is worth it. Yep. I have a couple, I have at least one teammate who uh, she has a therapist she talks to online and um, it helps her a lot. So that is a great idea. Great idea. I need to do that myself. Um, I have a support system right now to where I don't feel like that's completely necessary, but like I, when I go home, like that is something that I'm definitely looking into because like, even if your life is going great, therapy is not, it doesn't mean that like therapy is not only for when your life is going bad, right. like therapy is just an outlet for you to talk and cope and, you know, maintain, stay, maintain your, you know, your like good mental health. So like I would suggest, um, yeah. And I wanted people. to just piggyback on what you were talking about, but it is for, um, future athletes that are thinking about going overseas, like the resources that your overseas team might have in comparison to your division one or even division two team back home are worlds apart. You know, some teams might have more resources than others, but um, so yeah, come over with some bands or whatnot. um, And when you're over here, like you really do have to be your own advocate and speak up for yourself. And if something does happen, with your health, like be persistent, be the squeaky wheel that is asking for, (laughs) for treatment or whatever it is. Um, what else did I want to ask you about that? Oh, could you mention real quick, just the process of going overseas? Because sometimes I think my, myself personally, back in like 2008, when I finally went overseas, I was not aware of the whole visa process. But this is something that athletes need to think about and have knowledge about because like your agent, your team, they can't come to the United States and do all of this for you. Like you need to be the one to go to the embassy or get this piece of paperwork. So tell them about like what goes into that. Okay. So first and foremost, you need to figure out where your embassy is and Right. Um, Spanish embassy, for example, I'm from Minnesota. We don't have a Spanish embassy in, in Minneapolis. I had to go to Chicago. So you have to, yeah, look that up. <laughs> up where your embassy is. Um, luckily, I'm from California and there's one in Los Angeles. And I also, I live in Texas. So there's also one in Texas. Mm. So those are the two places I could have gone. Um, but anyways, it just depends on what country you're going to. But like, look that up and see how, like, how far it is from you, how much that flight's going to cost because your team is going to need to reimburse you. Make sure you get the reimbursement. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, find it and see, look up on the embassy what you need. Uh, see like all the paperwork that you need, 
write down the prices, see how much it's going to cost. And like for me, I, cause I'm in, playing in Spain, I ha- I needed like an FBI background check. I needed the application. I needed my work letter for my team. I needed, um, what else did I need? I needed the FBI background check apostled by the Washington DC. I had to send it there, things like that. Like do your research and make sure that there's nothing missing because if you have something missing, it's going to set you back. And also like if you can go on YouTube because a lot of people study abroad in Spain. So like, that's what I did. I looked up on YouTube, like visa process. And like, I watched all the videos to see like what the do's and don'ts, how to do it correctly, things that you might need, like, and also like, yeah. And the appointment process, make sure once you know, you have to get your visa, set an appointment immediately immediately because you don't know how long the visa process is going to take some people it takes two weeks like you said Leslie like yours took two weeks um some people's takes months mm-hmm. some some embassies are more put together than other embassies some people have more people than you know some people are more organized for example like this last year like because of COVID the LA office was closed and so I was trying to go to the one in Houston and they I made emails and stuff and they were like oh like you were not setting an appointment unless we know you have every single documentation that you need and they were like these are the documents that you need you need to send us scans of every single document before we even give you an appointment wow so um some some yeah I was not back to you like because I remember sending emails and not getting a response it was like okay I guess I just have to show up there in person (laughs) in LA they're like don't do that I showed up in person (laughs) I sure did (laughs) I was like please help me and I actually met somebody in the office who was um a boy who was going to play here in Spain and he was like oh yeah like I struggled and like I had to do this this and this and like I then I realized that I had to get all of my stuff translated into Spanish mm. and so then I had to, he gave me the number of the person that he used to like get things translated into like Spanish and all, things of that nature like make sure you that if things need to be translated they have to be translated make sure that you have your paperwork correct make sure that everything's up to date make sure that there are literally no mistakes and that you have copy a double copy of oh double copy everything have a folder for like when you go have a folder for when you have to travel I have a like two separate folders that that I travel with um that have just my visa information if I needed to get another one Mm -hmm. like here while I'm here so um you just want to be extra prepared um and again write down everything right make a checklist write down the I I type a personality I made a list I made um, of everything that I needed, what needed to be translated, how much that cost, the addresses and the numbers of all the, like every place that I would have to like contact and or figure out what needed to be done next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if so- anybody has to go to Spain, you, I can send you my checklist. <laughs> Bottom line, start the process early and yeah, talk immediately. to your club and make sure that they start giving you everything that you need because you don't want to be getting to the airport and then having them like send you back home or just having problems because it's a nightmare. So for sure. thank you for sharing your experience because that's important and not everybody is aware of all of those things that need to happen. Um, okay, so a couple random, um, what do I want to say? 
I'm blanking out. Just rapid fire questions. What jersey number do you wear and why? I wear double zero because it's for infinity and it's like forever. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, When you go overseas, do you bring any food product or anything that you know you're not going to be able to find over here? Yes. Half of my second suitcase is food. (laughs) Okay. What do you bring? And the other half is hair products. Um, (laughs) um, I really love Asian cuisine. So I bring like furukake, gochujang. um, There's like this hot pepper. I don't even know what you just said. What are those things? It's like this red chili, like this red chili paste. um, Ah. And it's really good. Um, But yeah, I bring that. Um, What else do I bring? I bring like, oh, I bring like uh, fruit snacks. Um, Can you not find fruit snacks here? Not good ones. Okay. They're they're candy, but like I want like Welch's, you know. Okay. Um, what else did I bring? Oh, seasonings. Oh mm-hmm. God, seasonings. Sometimes I bring like a couple bags of like some candy because you know you miss like you know the sour patch watermelon. Those are bomb. Um, <laughs> and, and um, hot Cheetos. Because uh. you're in Madrid. You have taste of America. You're lucky. You can just go there and buy. But like here in Zamora, we don't have that. So I bring hot Cheetos with me because I love hot Cheetos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hot, sometimes hot sauce. Okay. Because I, I got to go back home in November and like it was right before Thanksgiving. So like I came back with like things to make like a Thanksgiving meal, like macaroni and cheese, stuffing, gravy mix, <laughs> cans of pumpkin. Wow. Yeah, because I, I really do like to cook. So I have to have the things that I like to cook with. Okay, that's awesome. I love it. Cans of pumpkin. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we made pumpkin bread. I made pumpkin bread. Um, oh, pumpkin bread. I was thinking you were making pumpkin pie. I still have one more can. That's just what I wanted to make next. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to try pumpkin bread sometime. I don't know if I've ever made pumpkin bread. It's so good. And if you could just make them into muffins, like pumpkin chocolate chip muffins, Ooh. I have a recipe. I will send it to you. <laughs> All right. We will talk later. Um, what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite Spanish word that you've learned or one that you really like to say, or maybe even the most difficult one that you like s- struggle with? Okay. Okay. Struggle. Um, I literally can't say like training in Spanish. It's so difficult. Entrenamiento? See, si, that word is muy difícil. I like, I can't. <laughs> I struggle to say it so hard. That one, and then the word like that I learned recently, like is bone doctor. Can't say it. Try, try, try. No, I'm not going to try because I can't. Bone do doctor, like osteopata? No, it's like tra- too much. I have trauma. Yes, something like that. Like a traumatology, trauma. I don't know. But say the word. Oh, trauma to logos. Trauma to logo. Something like that. Okay. Very difficult. Yeah. But how, <laughs> tell me, how do you say training? Let's let's just hear it. I be you're being way harder than on yourself than you should be. Entrenamiento. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Hey, that's not, I can understand what you're trying to say. And that's what counts. See, so I try to say, I just say practice. I say, <laughs> I say, um, yo tengo practico. I guess <laughs> so. 
like to practice practicata and they're like what and I'm like you know what you know what I said <laughs> don't try to tell me you don't know what I said I know you know what I said <laughs> yes yes oh I love it it's all part of the process it's all part of you know putting yourself out there being uh vulnerable and it's not your first language so what are you gonna do <laughs> um do you think, have you noticed at all, would you say drivers are better in California, Texas, or Spain? None of the above. None of the above. Okay. <laughs> California is just traffic city. So like you don't really need to know how to drive. You need to know how to inch forward because that's all you're going to get on the freeway. Dallas people are aggressive. <laughs> they are so aggressive. And Spain, they just don't care. They'll honk at you even if it's red. <laughs> the amount of punks that I hear walking down the street, I'm like, I know. What about the air pollution? Like, people need to be sleeping. Like, if somebody's sleeping in their apartment, don't be honking. And they always want to honk at their friends. I'm like, I don't know if you're honking at me or honk, like the homeboy down the street. Like, I, it's so, I'm like, I'm so scared <laughs> every time. I'm like, well, who's honking at me? And sometimes people are honking at me because they know I play for, uh, you know, Thamarat. And they're like, oh, Amy, honk, honk. Hey, <laughs> okay. I don't remember you, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and lastly, this is my own personal question. And maybe I'm being super naive, but in Texas, like when you made the change and you went to Texas Christian University, like the stereotype in my head that I have of Texas, I think of like cowboy hats, cowboy boots. Like, do you see people in your day to day that are, that look like that? Or am I way off? No, there's people that look like that. I thought everybody was about to have an accent. And then I spoke to people and I was like, why don't you sound like country? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not, that's not real like there's rural parts of texas that's where you're gonna where you're gonna find people that talk that way or like people who like grew up in a household that have accent like a southern accent Mm -hmm. but like no it was like very different than what i thought i was like i thought everybody was gonna have a cowboy hat honestly (laughs) and like the 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 you know the culture at tcu is very much like um like it's there's not a lot of people with accents you'll come across people with accents but like So either Um, people are coming from the city maybe and it's more just metropolitan or from other states. I don't, did people even realize where you were from when you spoke? No, I got a mix of where people thought I was from, honestly. Um, But like, it's interesting because TCU has a heavy California population. Like a lot of people are from California there. So like some people knew where I was from, but a lot of people didn't because like Rancho Cucamonga is now like a well-known like place in California. Like I remember people were like, yeah, I'm from LA. And I'm like, where? And they're like, oh yeah, like Orange County. I'm like, that's not even LA County. Like that is Orange County. Stop it. Uh-huh. It's funny. I had this conversation with Erica and T because they're like the real LA, you know, and everybody yeah. has their opinion about what's the real LA and real LA is not Orange County yeah it's Orange County (laughs) and I I'm not someone who's going to claim that I'm from LA like I'm not I'm from LA like that's the closest place people know I just say like oh I'm from Rancho Cucamonga but I live an hour from LA which you are probably more familiar with you know familiar with where does that name even come from can you say it one more time slowly for me 
Rancho. Rancho. Rancho Cucamonga. Rancho Cucamonga. Yes. Is that like, do you know the history behind that at all? Like what? I think it, I honestly don't know. I think it has some indigenous. Um, I bet it does. Uh, yeah, history, but I really don't know because there are a lot of names around where I live that are like very indigenous and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love it. That's an awesome, that's an awesome word. Like people, <laughs> people make fun of me, Minnesota, and my parents live in a town called Minnetonka and they think it's hilarious. Oh my gosh, really? Minnetonka, that sounds, and it is, it's a Native American word. Um, but yeah, they think it's, they think it's hilarious. So, but I think you've got me. Rancho Cucamonga? Rancho Cucamonga. Rancho Cucamonga. That's something. <laughs> uh, well, Amy, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your overseas experience, your academic and athletic uh, journeys. I really appreciate it. And um, I wish you the best of luck in the rest of the season, your future basketball career. I'll be following you. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thankful. Uh, I'm glad I was able to talk about it. I hope uh, whoever listens like can learn something and uh, enjoy it. I'm so glad that we met um, the first, it was like, I don't even know how months, how many months ago it was, but we just kind of connected. I feel like that first day that we met each other in Madrid when we played against each other. I don't even know, like. I Yeah, I, I think I asked you a question. <laughs> I forgot what I asked you, but I was like, hey, you played or do you play basketball? I think that's the best. <laughs> yeah. And then we found out that we had friends in common and it was just like, so I really appreciate you being on the podcast and like your willingness to get together today and share. So thank you. No problem. I'm glad to, to be a part of it. All right. Well, take care and uh, we'll be in touch. Yes, for sure. All right, and that's a look into what the academic and athletic lives of Amy Aconquo have been for the past 15 plus years. And side note, I did look up the city of Rancho Cucamonga, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there was a Native American Indian tribe in the 1200s by that same name, and part of the name comes from the word Tongva, which means sandy place. So I'm assuming Rancho Cucamonga is a dry, deserty type of paradise. Minnetonka, on the other hand, means great water and comes from the Dakota Sioux Indians, which we do have a lake called Lake Minnetonka, and it's massive, which is why it means great water. The word Minnesota, on the other hand, means clear blue water, which also makes sense because Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. So anyway... Word history lesson aside, <laughs> I really enjoyed listening to Amy's story and truly appreciate her honesty when it comes to the college recruiting process. Long story short, take your time, do your research, ask lots of questions, dig deep, and think about what's truly most important to you in the long run. I also enjoyed hearing her advice on living overseas. Support systems, your village, whatever you want to call it, are incredibly important and will help you face the daily obstacles of everyday life. Unless you're truly a lone wolf, but honestly, who doesn't like a little, hey, how are you doing every now and then? 
And when living overseas, it's so important to take advantage of the opportunity. And as Amy said, find joy in anything, whatever it is, because when basketball is not going your way, um, it is pivotal to have other things going on in your life, other distractions where you can find your happy place and feel fulfilled. Um, so with that, I will bid you all farewell. I hope that flower garden is weeded, your room is spotless, and those cabinets are as smooth as butter, baby. Enjoy the day, stay well, and we'll be back in a week or so. Hasta luego! Thank you.